on the air, in the air, it's a blimp. Hi. How are you all doing? You are listening to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number four, and my name is Jakob. My name is Carson. My name is Nick. On today's episode, we are also joined by our uh, fellow clapperite and a good buddy, Ewan Gledo. Hello. So, hi. Um, thanks for tuning in to our show, and um, I hope you will have a great time listening to, to us, or at least at least as good a time as I hope we will be um, having while having this conversation, I suppose. But uh, so before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, as it were, I have a small housekeeping announcement. I don't know if you guys noticed as well, where I started a ko-fi.com support page as well, where you can support our efforts, show your appreciation. I don't know. You can help us grow. You know, every, you know, so the address is ko fi.com slash uncut gems pod so you know every little helps and that's with a k right and yes with a with a kicking k <laughs> not a curly k uh yeah so now um last week we have traveled back in time to talk about some packing pass convoy and i think we all had a great time paying a visit to this um troubled and let's say forgotten classic so this week we are staying in the 70s as um, we will be discussing John Frankenheimer's 1977 spy thriller, Black Sunday. You're talking just exactly like they were. Every one of them who loved these medals and then they cheered my court-martial. Do you understand what I went through, huh? Do you know that I was months a prisoner of war? Do you know that I was months in solitary confinement in a little 4 by 4 bamboo cell? 367 days, six years, they held me as a prisoner of war. And then I came back here, and my life was held back here because she took it away from me. They, every single one of them took it away from me. All those guys, too. Yeah, I see them every Sunday. I see them from up there, down in the mass, their little upturned faces and their two little weenies in a Coke, watching the big game, cheering the big game. Because they cheer all the good things. They cheer the big game and they cheer court So, um, adapted from the uh, debut novel of Thomas Harris, who later became famous for inventing one of the most iconic villains of all time, not Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter, and uh, directed by John Frankenheimer, Black Sunday tells a story of a terrorist plot where a radicalized former US Air Force pilot, played by Bruce Dern, helped by the... Uh, infamous organization of Black September, responsible in real life for the uh, deadly Munich massacre in 1972, which also served as an inspiration, by the way, for uh, Steven Spielberg's Munich, attempts to mount an attack of the uh, scale that world had not yet seen. However, the plot is uncovered by a seasoned Mossad ag agent Kabakov, played by Robert Shaw, who races against time to stop an immeasurable tragedy from happening. Now, I'm going to yield the floor for now because I have stuff to say, but you know, let's go, <laughs> let's go around the table to share our initial impressions before we dig into the film in a bit more detail. So um, I don't know, maybe we'll start with you, and because you know it's your first time on on the Gems podcast. So how about you uh, lead the way? 
Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was incredible. I think it's possibly one of the best action films to come out of the 1970s. Um, it was my first time watching it. I thought it was, it, it essentially, it is a near masterpiece. I think that's the, the nicest thing I can say about it. Uh, there's two very strong performances. You've got John Frankenheimer behind the camera. It's it's three three leading voices in 70s Hollywood that it should just finally come together and make this amazing blockbuster. And it works so well. It's fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. I was blown away by this film. I think John Frankenheimer is one of the great underrated directors of, of all time, probably. And, and this felt very much like a spiritual successor of sorts to the Manchurian Candidate. Lots of similarities, uh, but just the level of intensity that this sustains in almost two and a half hours, it's, oh, it's fantastic. You, like, honestly, they don't make films like this anymore. Boy, I love just being on every podcast and being the negative voice. I do like this film quite a bit, to be very, very clear. I'm just not at masterpiece uh -oh. level uh, like everyone else seems to be. Um, I, I find it funny, like this is the film that people considered they were thinking it was going to be the next Jaws because I think it is wildly messy at times. There's a lot I like. I think the action's fantastic. The third act is pretty undeniable. Bruce Dern here is genuinely, I think, like legendary. Uh, there's a lot of films where you're like, oh, it's a great performance, a really, you know, really great performance. I genuinely think this might be one of my favorite performances of all time. He is fucking incredible in this film. Uh, the film, though, I just feel like it tries to be a little bit too big. There is so much going on, so many characters, so many locations, so many dates, a long one, uh, 143 minute runtime. And I just feel like it's a little bit too big. There's elements here where it's a little bit bond, a little bit, you know, a lot of influences. Um, and I think it, it just tries to be a little bit too big, be a little bit more focused, be a little bit more condensed when it comes to tone, either go a little bit more silly or go a little bit more serious. I don't like how it kind of tries to play into both at times. Um, I just think like there is something really great here. I think it's a good film, but had it be a little bit more focused, a little bit more trimmed down, a little bit more clear with what it was going with, I think it would have been the masterpiece they were looking for. Instead, I think it's just a really good film, not a masterpiece, though. Well, okay. <laughs> um, I suppose, you know, I should probably just come out and say it. Um, it's confession time. The reason I, well, one of the main reasons I actually came up with this show as an idea, this, this, this idea was for me to talk about films that no one cares about, like the, like the cult classics without cult. Um, and then when I was thinking about putting this together, this thing was right at the top of my list. This is basically the epitome of what I'm thinking about in terms of this uh, format of this, because to me, this is, I want to say, I've seen this, I think, twice now. But I saw this originally a few years ago, and I absolutely adored it. And then now, having seen this twice, this is one of my all-time favorites at the minute. I, I think if, if I ever did like a top 100, this would be right up there with, with Jaws, with Alien. It's like, and as blockbusters go, this is it, at least for me. Because it has everything... And and also, well, it's it's very much the seventies film. It's very much um, a set a set of inspirations for modern filmmakers to draw from, and also a sort of like a, like a sink of inspirations drawn from other people. Because like Frankenheimer uh, is a director that well, 
he's at least in in my mind he's a guy who's been consistently underrated throughout all of his career and um, i think he's english but or was english because i think he's dead um and then he's he was a guy who would be um looking up to hitchcock much in the same way like edwards wick would be looking up to spielberg like he would be the sort of the minor hitchcock because he was he was doing films all throughout 60s and 70s and later in the 80s i think as well but his his films for some reason were always 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 just kind of under the radar and like we could we could actually do like marathons with with, with this guy's movies and there's plenty of good stuff to draw from and um and some of them are better than others but you know but but this one to me this was basically the epitome of this because like you watch this you know this is a 70s film but it actually feels like like a mission impossible film and then when you think about um how it's been put together and then it was supposed to be like you like you, Carson, you said like this was supposed to be next jaws because i think the guys in correct me if i'm wrong paramount right or universal can't remember now anyway so the studio guys were actually thinking oh we're, we're going to capitalize on the 1975 success the first big blockbuster we'll get robert shaw by the way for whom this is uh, one of his last roles because he died in uh 1978 very tragically tragically at 51 i think he only made uh, i wrote it down he only made three more films after this the deep which also is going to be an episode at some point brace yourselves force 10 from navarone and avalanche express i think which was i think released uh, a year after he died um but anyway so the studio wanted a big blockbuster and then they pulled out all the stops for this and this is where i'm actually going to go on like a 90 minute run to convince carson how wrong he is thinking that oh it's not a masterpiece like because <laughs> because this this thing okay might as well get into this because my initial impressions are already out of the way anyway because i'm i'm absolutely in love with this and it pains me to to know that, the, that it's not available on physical media in high definition anyway anywhere i think it's been in print some time ago and I don't, I don't know where somewhere in region two countries but i'm not sure if it was in the uk it doesn't have a blu-ray re release someone criterion please so like someone needs to step up to the plate because this is hor horrendous i had to buy it on apple like a savage <laughs> um so th this film was supposed to be a massive blockbuster so it was made on um eight million dollar budget but it might well, well, i don't want to say it bombed but it made 15 million dollars on, on a eight million dollar budget which was quote unquote um underwhelming right and then when you think about what these people did like the okay well the spoiler i mean i don't want to say it's a spoiler warning the plot involves uh, a terrorist attack at a uh at a super bowl and then and bruce down being the pilot who's radicalized to to do this um he's a blimp pilot so there is a blimp involved and these people used a real blimp because john frankenheimer had contacts in goodyear because i think he made something he was working with them on grand prix um and they, they and they agreed to to use a real goodyear blimp um at a, and they and they filmed at a real super bowl 1976 super bowl like the the, the whole third act is basically filmed well, part of, parts of it where things really go get hairy. I don't want to get into, into detail, but when, when things get really, really hairy, this is not shot at a real Super Bowl, but they still hired like 10,000 extras to do this. So the scale is massive. And then, well, and pe people kind of didn't buy it at the time. But to me, this this is 
well, you, you, you should you should sense that there is a there's been there's been an effort on a scale that's that's been very rarely seen up to up to up until that point. Like they hired a guy who uh, wrote the day the, the day of the jackal. I mean, adapted the day of the jackal. And when you think about this, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the day of the, Jack, yeah, the, day of the Jack, jackal. So basically, the film is like, like when you said, no, it's like Manchurian Candidate, kind of. And it's also like, kind of like the day of, of the jackal because you kind of just keep following the antagonists as they mount a terrorist attack. So you see this procedurality of these people just trying to evade capture by FBI and Mossad and all these people. So you see these, there are basically two sets of characters. So you can say, see, see, it's kind of messy because you kind of try to follow these thing, these people in parallel. But this is also kind of because it's based on a book. In a book, it's easier to kind of follow these things because you have a chapter when you follow a guy, then there's another chapter when you follow a different guy and it all makes sense. So I have, I have a feeling that this is the sort of weakness of this. But I, I, I kind of need to ask you guys, like, especially Carson, because you're, you're kind of like, still on the fence i suppose like by the time we're finished we're finished with this we'll be, you'll be in love with this but next, the um well because I, I could see that this is something like well these days like paul greengrass would would make or um uh catherine bigelow would probably be inspired by stuff like this and then what would be your opinion on on sort of like the, the scale in terms of like the well, filmmaking craftsmanship, like the fact that they actually managed to convince the NFL to 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 let them film as the, well, as they were you know during during an actual Super Bowl, and the fact it was actually shot five years after a massive um, terrorist attack that happened at an, at the Olympics as well, which uh, I suppose after nine eleven this would never happen. But yeah, what 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 what's your guys' take on this? Because to me this is a this is yet another example of why this film should be appreciated as a as a classic, not just a forgotten classic. I, I honestly agree with all, pretty much everything you were saying and talking about just the scale, the scope and the boldness of doing a project like this. Yeah, like you said, yeah, we, we would never get something like this, like a 9-11 equivalent of a Black Sunday. But I think it's also thanks to Robert Evans, who was one of the producers. Uh, he didn't produce that many films, but the ones he did were some of the most important ones of the 70s. So I can see him being a big part of also like pushing this together with Frankenheimer. And it's it's astonishing. Like I, we're probably going to focus a lot on the third act because it is the standout set piece of it. Um, and various things you said, like, yes, the, the Mission Impossible element, I can totally see that because some of the stunts are incredibly dangerous. Um, there are also a couple, or a little more than a couple, uh, really ugly rear projection shots that uh, kind of age it back a bit, keep yeah. it from being really timeless. Um, kind of like, you know, when, when they're driving in the blimp and you can see them, oh, okay. the background and things like that. It's, it doesn't take me out of the movie, but it's still, you can feel the art element of it but but ah oh, just the way it's put together the editing of those scenes um and especially the thing that made me love the film was exactly what you said about following two different groups of people following the heroes and the villains the Mossad agent and the terrorists and it's one of those like you feel those conflicting emotions because Clearly, you do not want the terrorists to win, but you also feel the tension of them getting discovered, and you kind of want to see a bit more of the action. Like, you don't want them to be discovered too early. So you're rooting for them in a very sick way, um, while also seeing the Mossad agent, played by Robert Shaw, just trying to do everything in his power to, um, 
win and to find the terrorist before it's too late. So it's fascinating. And I, think, I remember reading somewhere, I think on IMDb, that apparently preview audiences didn't really like that the blimp didn't actually blow up in the stadium during the actual Super Bowl, which is <laughs> maddening to think about. That, that might have been one of the reasons why people didn't really resonate with the But yeah, like they, they had, they had <laughs> Just, like 80,000 people kind of witnessing this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's the most dangerous thing to happen at a Super Bowl until this year when they decided to hold it during a global pandemic. <laughs> um, sadly, we beat we beat yes. that record this year. <laughs> no blimps, um, though. <laughs> no, no blimps. But a whole lot of a whole lot of deadly viruses in that stadium this year. I agree that there's nothing like this can never be made again, simply because also like you don't get this raw filmmaking craft anymore. If they wanted to remake this film, it would be like a CGI blimp. It would be CGI, really high definition, all these like really, you know, shots that you just can never get. There is something so raw and so like beautifully raw about how they film this blimp. And you can, you know, it's a physical blimp. There's people on it. There's people doing stuff. Like I, I really appreciate like the craft of the seventies and just like the tenacity they have, like, if you want something to happen you can't just go put a program into a computer and you can't just like do it the easy like the quote-unquote easy way you have to actually go out and do it and there's something about the authenticity and the physicality of that scene that you you just wouldn't get anymore i think just to echo <clears throat> i think <clears throat> sorry i think Speaking just to echo what um you guys said about the mission impossible comparisons i think that's very clearly the film's strength where you've got bruce dern sort of just running around prepping, waiting for the big day of the Super Bowl. And then on the other hand, you've got Robert Shaw's that sort of yielding the the more James Bondy aspect. I see what Carson means where it's a blend of sort of very serious, you know, sort of almost investigative sort of, not a mystery, but sort of the, the thriller aspects are very much Robert Shaw's domain. And then you've got Bruce Dern who's running around making sure his bomb goes off right or all these little details that are coming together and it's not until really the last half an hour where they both come together and it's pacing like that is very difficult to manage and I think it's down to Frankenheimer's direction which is phenomenal and I do think it's down to Tom Rolfe who is the editor who manages to keep these narratives separate yet at the same time they're, they're sort of intercut you know that they're, they're on top of one another they're, they're happening at the same time they're moving along just at the right speed and it's not until that final third where they come together and finally all crashes together it's amazing it's it's one of the few films i can think of where the the two hours of build-up is well worth the payoff that we get between those two characters it's fantastic i mean the 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 the, the, the two hours of build-up is actually not that not that boring anyway because yeah. when you think about i mean the, i don't even i don't even want to say it's like a third act because i think there's more acts than just three right but then the final act sort of thing is is just well I, I wrote a few by, by the way a few i wrote a few notes when i was i didn't read really do that many notes because I, I when i'm trying to review stuff i kind of try to jot stuff down and then this time i didn't really do much because i just kept watching this just 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 watching you know but i did write some like there's lots of handheld camera work in this and this is the 70s and they, you know in the 70s they've invented the steady cam and they were just going nuts with sort of dollies and steady cams so you wouldn't really see that much handheld work uh, that's something that you know you, you just associate with some like Paul Greengrass these days or well, pretty much everyone now but um 
but um and also there's like when you when you mentioned oh there's the filmmaking craft of the 70s because there's you know you have to use physical props there'll be shots you know on a like when you want to film a blimp you have to film a real blimp and you probably have to be in a helicopter while you're doing it um so and another note i had was there's also quite a lot of long zooms i don't know if you've seen like bullet or something like this there's always or like all the president's men where these people are just using these I don't know, 3000 millimeter lenses or with these horribly long zooms that they can just, they'll be sitting miles away and then, and just do close ups, you know, from like 300 meters away. Um, and then just, you know, they'll just pull out and then they, as they pull out and just realize there's the, the, you know, the lens on this is probably like the size of my, my, my leg. Right. Uh, and it just doesn't really happen these days. And then, but when you, um, what was I going to say? And I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, but when you think about how these things come together in the end, well, there's there's a few other things. Like there's the uh, big chase where, what's the guy's name? Faisal? They chase him around the, uh, the town and he just takes a hostage and there is a shootout. And it's almost like the French connection. And then I'm, think, and I'm thinking, uh, while they're chasing this guy down, I'm just thinking, this is probably something that like Michael Mann probably looked at. And, and so I want to put this in my film and he put it in, in the end of Heat because that's pretty much what it is. Just two people running and then, you know, <laughs> and, and shooting at each other. And you just sit there bolted to your seat just thinking, uh, like these bullets are flying, like just... And, and this is pretty violent as well. There's like bystanders, civilians getting their heads blown off. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, this is like, I was watching this and this is 1977. And like, knowing that knowing that Frankenheimer was looking up to Hitchcock and then I'm thinking he's like the other sort of brother. Uh, okay, if Hitchcock had children, as in artistic children, one of his child, children would be Brian De Palma and the other one would be him. Uh, and then while De Palma was more looking up to like Hitchcock through like Giallo, so he would be just looking at the sort of sleazy cinema and he would he would be and Frankenheimer would be thinking, I'm going to continue Hitchcock's legacy that he left with films like North by Northwest and then just make them the way that Hitchcock would never have the balls to make them as in with real violence and then real stakes. And then, by the way, the whole like the whole end sequence when you know things are about to happen and nothing's happening. This is pure Hitchcock to me. Like when I'm just sitting there, what? like there's there's fuse, this fuse taking forever. There's Robert Shaw doing stuff, and he's sitting on like he's on on a blimp, and there's he's hanging off of a helicopter, and just things are happening. I'm just like just bolted to my seat. I'm just thinking, this is what Hitchcock would have wanted. This is suspense epitomized like I'm 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 doing great then and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking I'm witnessing a masterpiece and and I, I don't know what else to say because uh you know especially when you actually factor in because I, I don't know if Nicola or, or Carson I think one of you guys mentioned that you know like this you watch these people and you think Bruce Dern um, that's not just don't on me by the way Bruce Dern looks like Sam Rockwell I don't know if you guys noticed yeah like young does. Bruce Dern, young Bruce Dern looks like Sam Rockwell similarly unhinged by the way <laughs> um, but it's, you, you think oh there's bad guys and good guys but then you think about this you know that Bruce Dern is a bad guy because he's supposed to he's mounting a big terrorist attack and what he's what he's planning to do when you see the test that he's doing which is basically almost almost lifted from the day of the jackal as in testing the weapon right um, when he's um, when he's doing it and then you learn the reasons why he's doing it like he has a lot of 
re regrets. He has a lot of pain. You know, like his family's left him. Like the countries betrayed him. They left him for dead in Vietnam, and then, and then you start sympathizing with him. On the other hand, Robert Shaw, even though he's um, he's a hero, he's very unlikable as well. I don't know if you if you guys agree with this, but you know he's he's like ruthless. He he tortures people. He's yeah. um, I don't want to say he's like Jack Reacher, but he's you know he's he he he's almost like an anti-hero. And then and then he's, you're supposed to cheer for him, but it's difficult to cheer for him because he's he's a murderer. He's he tortures people. He put you know like when they in, in interview someone, he just puts a gun in his, in his mouth. Or, or he's not he's not a likable sort of he's not your typical leading man. Like he's almost like, like you, you're almost one Bruce Dern to win because he's the more likable guy. Yeah? yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to cheer for a cold character, even though Robert Shaw's justified. It's it it's even more hard. It's even more difficult when Bruce Dern's character is quite clearly the villain. But you know there there is a sense of sympathy for it because he's the Vietnam War veteran who was you know his country's done wrong by him and he's fighting back against the system. It's very it's very difficult not to get wrapped up in both sides of sort of the argument that the film presents. It's um, yeah, I think that the cold stuff with Robert Shaw is really, really good. I think it's it's that scene in the hospital um, when the nurse is asking him questions and it's just, you know, very blunt, cold responses. And that sort of summarizes a lot of what his character does. Just but very he, blunt, cold. But what he says as well. Like yes, what he says. Is, like you realize that there's drama behind it, yeah? Yeah, I think... That scene alone does more for his character and the depth and the backstory of it than any other scene could have done. We get to know about his family, his past life, where he's from, where his kids are from. All that sort of preamble that you would get in a modern action film where it's shown quite clearly and quite rapidly is just told to us in this big spiel really quickly, really efficiently, and it, it works really well. You know, I think what you said is kind of switching gears here. Like what you said, Jakob, about the tension. I think this film is both incredibly made but also incredibly hurt by its attention to like time it is a film that consistently reminds you of the date and you know i mean i knew going in i don't know if you necessarily know like going in but like you know it's happening on the super bowl you know you know about the month that is and you can count down you know okay we're getting closer you know shit's gonna go down you know february or whatever so it, you constantly have that suspense as you know shit's you know it's getting closer it's getting closer it's getting closer but i think coming in at over two hours that also serves as kind of like a negative side effect that the film has is that you also have to wait a long time to get there and you're constantly reminded oh you have this many months to go you have this many months to go i think it works both ways it's getting constantly closer which is effective for tension and keeps you on the edge of your seat and oh oh shit it's about to go down but also you're constantly waiting for that and you're constantly kind of waiting until you get to that third act which the film hypes up or final act if we don't want to say third act which i think is a valid point um i, I think it's both incredibly hurt and incredibly helped by that i think it's very curious do not think though that for me one of the biggest strengths of the film was that if if if, if we look at action films in the 70s just as in a general sense i don't mean a stereotype them, but they were rather similar in some ways. Not Black Sunday, because Black Sunday is this unique masterpiece. It's it's the unicorn of the genre. However, a lot of action films, especially recently, I've been watching the Godzilla films, but that sort of plays into what I'm going to say, is the first act and the second act, that first half hour, maybe an hour, is build up. It's building up characters, it's building up the tension, it's building up underlying story that doesn't really matter because everybody's waiting around for that last half hour that's explosions and action and just 
fight scenes, uh, like something like Commando. Um, Black Sunday is very keen to tell its story. It's very keen to show that there are two different powers at play. Both of them are sort of morally dubious and they're going to riff on one another eventually, but they work so well together independently that the story itself carries that first two hours and then we can enjoy the action. But it doesn't feel like we're having to slog through something to get there. It's it's equally as rewarding in both parts. I, I agree with that to a point. I mean, I don't think it's like a disaster or anything. I just think that like if you would have got rid of the day aspect, I think it would have sm- flowed just a little bit smoother. But I mean, I agree. I, again, I don't think this is like a bad. I think it's rather good. So, I mean, um, you if know. you made if I, I think it got rid of the um, of the dates, I think at some point you'd you'd probably think, okay, I don't know how like the how passage of time is kind of broken up in there will be very sure. messy. Um, however, I would I would add to this when you, when you guys are saying well this um, two things I would add. Hopefully Nicola will agree with this because he's you're just sitting there just like nodding your head or just like <laughs> uh, no. But when you see um, oh the film just te- does takes its time to tell its story and just utilizes the suspense. Well, there's I mean it has these little set pieces to kind of just get you kind of get you, get your blood pumping as well. It starts the way like zero dark thirty ends right. This massive raid, and by the way, like I, I was so in love with how it starts when there's Martha Keller, what by the way, who's a brilliant actress as well. Like she's, she's just, a, I don't want to call her, I don't want to call her a femme fatale, but she's this sort of, she is kind of like a femme fatale in there. But she's, she's more like the like the terrorist groomer, right? Where she's just radicalizing this guy, and she's using her sort of, she's seducing him into doing her bidding, right? Because she has her own political agenda. But the, the film starts with her recording um, a message that she, well, she's so full of it that she wants to record a message that that would be played after the attack that's like months ahead right and then you see as she's as she was recording this the cat frankenheimer cross cuts between her speaking words of like oh you've you've experienced terrible tragedy today and whatever with the van with robert Shaw and these commandos pulling up at her house and then raiding the house and you're just realizing okay well she has no idea these people are coming um, they are coming and then there's a lot of suspense going into this because Frankenheimer again knows how to kind of be Hitchcock in there and then and then to me this this is just a little sort of um uh like an encapsulation of the of this whole thing being done on the scale of the whole film which is why I'm thinking the dates are important because this comes back to the sort of age-old um rule of you know like Hitchcock would define suspense as okay if you see two people sitting at a table and a bomb explodes, that's not su- suspense. That's a surprise. You're just, you know, shocked that this thing happened. There's bodies everywhere, blood, whatever. But if you see people talking at a table, camera rolls down behind, below the table, shows you the bomb and pulls back up. You don't know, you don't know when it's going to go. You just know it's going to go. But these people have no idea. You have idea. You have an idea that this is going to happen. They, they, they don't know when. And you might even know when, right? Because you, you may even see like the clock and whatever, you know, they have 15 seconds le- less than that. So it's kind of like the, on the scale of the whole film, this is basically done this way because you know this is going to happen at the Super Bowl. So, you know, time's running out and it's just patiently marked. This is how many days you have left. This is how many days you have left. And this is how many days you have left, Robert Shaw, and you're still not even close, right? And then, or, or this is how many days you have left, Bruce Dern, and then... You're, you're you're not even halfway prepared right um so 
to me, this is basically just the Hitchcockian suspense just blown up into the sort of two and a half hour sort of wingspan of a film. And yeah, again, this is a reason for me to think this is a Hitchcockian masterpiece that people just forgot about because apparently no, um, studio people were saying that people didn't buy it because there was another film about a terrorist attack called Two Minute Warning. They kind of just, well, they thought it was a knockoff of that. And that one was apparently, wasn't apparently very good. That would probably be very interesting to see it at some point, but hey. Um, but yeah, to me, to me, this is, this is what it is, as in like, okay, well, if you got rid of the dates, it would be messy. And if you, if you keep them, it, it kind of shows you that this is, um, this is like a sus suspenseful sort of thing because you, you know, things are going to happen, you know, when, and the anticipation is what gets you going. Yes. And talking about one of the things I really loved about the opening, not only how it sets up, you know, the entire, the terrorist attack that's coming and setting up the different characters, but an element that I really loved was how Robert Shaw kind of is the catalyst of everything that happens afterwards because he could have easily stopped it if only shot if only he had shot the woman yes. while she was taking a shower. Yes, yes. and, and that's thinking... the glimmer of humanity. <laughs> just you see him going, "I'm not going to shoot a woman and you're just naked and unarmed." But you know, <laughs> but, you could... but you know, right? You yes. know, it's like, yes. she's the baddie. You shoot her now, film's over. Roll credits. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. It's, this is so so brilliant. This is this is basically like this is what the Palma, this is what Hitchcock, this is what the, the best of the Spielberg would have done it the same way as well. Like a masterpiece, mm. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, and that carries on. Like you can feel that pressure on him from the entire rest of the film, the desperation that's building up, especially considering that yeah, it's it's actual months that are going on like it's not a couple of days or a few weeks it's literal months from when that first attack happened um and so seeing him lose friends colleagues um just getting lost in this never-ending spiral of where the hell are those guys what are they actually gonna accomplish or do it's i think it's yes it's a great way to set up uh, character motivation <laughs> to say the least very very interesting way i'm glad you mentioned Hitchcock, because the guy that adapted Black Sunday, Ernest Lehman, he wrote North by Northwest, and I think no. he did Family Plot too. Yeah. Oh, this is, so this is getting better the, every minute. The, uh, is, for everyone who's listening to the audio version, Jakob's like freaking out, mouth open, shocked right now. <laughs> also, I'm not even kidding. This is fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> Tom Rolfe, who edited this film, also edited Heat. Um, hmm? <laughs> all my notes. All my it's notes. All connected. Thank you. <laughs> so it's all connected. Please tell me there's someone who worked on the French Connection in there. <laughs> well, John Frankenheimer directed the French yeah, Connection too. The second one. That's yeah. true. So. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a year before. Yeah, and, and to be fair, Black Sunday is an amalgamation of all the best bits of Hitchcock, Man. Uh, Friedkin. Friedkin. Yeah, that's the one. Fred Zinnemann's, well, I suppose, The Day of the Jackals, like half of the plot is basically lifted from there. But I suppose this is Thomas yeah. Harris basically lifting the plot of The, the Day novel, of the yeah. When, By the way, The Day of the Jackal was inspired, right? Because it's about the um, assassination plot to kill Charles de Gaulle. Right? Oh. So have, you not, have you not read or seen The Day of the Jackal? I have. No. Oh, my, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another like a three hour film. Um, no, but that's basically um, it's a it's a fictitious. Sort of, there there used to be attempts at, at this guy's life, right? In the sixties, there were like you know 
terrorist organizations who just wanted to, to wipe them out. So the book was inspired by this, and they um, they invented this sort of assa assassin who's called the Jackal, and then he's supposed to infiltrate into France and kill Charles de Gaulle. And that's the sort of the entire story of this. And you're following him, and you're following the police officers who are trying to get get to him. So it's basically like Black Sunday. And then Thomas Harris must have seen this. And you know, so when you think this is in the aftermath of actual assassination attempts at the guy's life, the book happened and the film happened. Now, in the aftermath of the actual terrorist attack in Munich, where Black September massacred like I don't know a few dozen Israeli athletes, this guy writes a book and there's a film, so it's it all makes sense. God exists. I'm sorry. It probably helps as well that uh, Kenneth Ross, one of the writers on Black Sunday, also he, wrote Tear the Child. Yes, he did, yes. And this is a note I actually do have. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's surprisingly connected to all of these influences. And it, it definitely shows on the film. I think the, the best part for me was seeing all of these sort of narrative tropes and styles and techniques all just come together under one roof. And it it's subliminal. It's fantastic. It's... Everything I could want in an action film is present in Black Sunday. It's 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 long, and I think that's the reason it may not have done as well as sort of other seventies action films. Because here in England, we have like late night action movie channels that show you know Rambo, Commando, all these Jean Claude Van Damme films. And I think the reason Black Sunday has missed out on this slot is because of its length. I'm not saying the length's bad. I think the per the length is perfect. I think it works really, really well as this sort of action epic. I think the reason it's sort of been left out of this bubble is because of how long it is. I suppose if you start it at like 11 p.m., you'll be just, okay, well, I'm going to sleep like well into the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With ads in, in the process, holy shit, this is like a oh, three and a half hour affair. Yeah. Jesus, no, no, but you're totally <laughs> right about this. No, this, this all makes sense now to me, this, you know. And I need to lie down. It's <laughs> <laughs> a state of shock on your face. <laughs> yeah. No, because oh. I've I've got like a whole set of these notes. I'm just thinking, okay, well, just you know, when I'm just thinking, this is kind of like heat. This is like this. This is like that. And now you keep you, you keep telling me like, oh, this this guy worked on that. This guy worked on that. And I'm just like, I should have actually done my research a bit better. What a shitty host I am. Like, <sighs> oh. Everything that was missing was just a car chase through the street or something like that. That was literally the last set piece that was missing from this film. There was a car chase. There was a car chase. I mean, there was a car chase when they were chasing Faisal. He was on on foot, but they were they were they were chasing him with with a car. That's I mean, no, okay, no Robert yeah. Shaw, Robert Shaw was on foot, but then there's um, there was the FBI guy, his his little fella. He was in a car. That's kind of counts as a car chase. Okay, okay. We'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. <laughs> no, but nothing, nothing like, you know, Gene Hackman. In... Yes. Yeah. Oh, but, but even then, man, the, the, the foot chase. I love a good foot chase. And especially when it's really long, because more often than not nowadays, it's always, you know, in enclosed spaces and we're going just through random streets or whatever. This one is long. This one is different stakes constantly being added into it there's the civilian aspect and they're not shying away from you know oh the uh, uh, patrol car of cops actually evacuated the entire area before the terrorists could arrive or 
something like that that would easily happen nowadays. Um, yeah, people are getting shot. The, the footage is tiring. You actually see these actors running for long stretches of time. Um, the ending of it on the beach is really intense and nail-biting. You're just counting down the bullets of the gun, hoping the, the guy will run out of, uh, of shots before actually killing Robert Shaw. It's... Oh, it's an escalation of tension. And I think that's the biggest strength of Frankenheimer. I think he's a brilliant director, but I haven't seen, I think, like six or seven of his films now. He's just wonderful at action set pieces. Like, you could hate everything else in the movie, but you for sure know that the action is going to be just fantastic. Uh, and it's absolutely on point here. Also, another note I have. Sorry, I, I, need, to, I need to say this. I just popped into my head like 30 minutes before we started. Um when Martha Keller um, infiltrates the uh, hospital, dresses as a nurse, and goes to give the guy a, you know, a syringe full of poison, Kill Bill Volume 1. Sorry. That's, that's to oh. me saying, Tarantino's basically saying, I want, I want that scene in my film. I'm going to put it in my film. He put um, um, the, the whistle music from, whistling music is from <sighs> Twisted Nerve. But you know, yes. the, whole, the whole idea of shadowing this woman as she's going to uh, kill Robert Shaw, and then what happens later, and then you know, oh, uh oh, stuff's gonna happen. The, she goes in the lift, and you're like, I know what's gonna happen. And this is again Hitchcock in the in the works. I, can, I mean, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, Tarantino lifted from Frankenheimer's Black Sunday. No, you, no one even noticed. He was very open about it, wasn't he? I think he's been like very open about it. Oh no, he's open about lifting from left and right, left, right, and center. But this is one of those things when people say, "Oh, this shot's from like Gone in sixty seconds." This is from, uh, I don't know, whatever. This is from this is this is from like the good, the bad, and the ugly. But no one actually, no one name checks Frankenheimer, Frankenheimer, because Frankenheimer is kind of like a forgotten, underrated guy who's. Turns out he's a genius that no one really appreciated. Because when it, when anyone mentions Frankenheimer, it's either to talk about seconds or just to talk about maybe Rowan another man in Canada. It's yes. never to talk about like Black Sunday or something like Fifty Two Pickup. Uh, the train. Yes. Oh. Train. Uh, I Grand Prix. Seven days in May. Like this, I have got whole, like I've got a whole shelf full of this shit. <laughs> French Connection Two is underrated as well. Just, yes, just keeps in the spirit of the original film alive. Oh my, I'm 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 so in love with this now. I can't, I'm just thinking, like, Criterion, please. I come, I'm begging you. I come, I might, I might even like write an email to someone like Arrow or Powerhouse or someone like just please, someone remaster this. Criterion someone... has an email that you can send it to for uh, suggestions. Are you shitting me? Really? Yeah, they have one. Yeah, well, I want to write this down. <laughs> it must be flooded. <laughs> I apologize to the Criterion intern who's about to get three thousand emails. Okay, um, this is going to go on my on my Twitter list of of tweeting uh, uh, alongside True Lies in the Abyss. <laughs> Email Criterion, <laughs> rare Black Sunday because I'll forget. Doing God's work. Yes. No, I mean there's there's one thing I wanted to kind of touch on because I was super happy about this, but I, okay, well, I'm, I might have to. How do I do this? I think I need to share my screen because um, music for this was done by John Williams, right? In the same year as he did Star Wars, by the way, like the guy was banging. <laughs> 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 no, but um, I'm listening to the score. Um, how do I hide this? Um, I'm listening to the score and I'm thinking, 
so do, do, do. this music which one is that one can you hear this yes yeah yeah yes yeah does it sound familiar to you that, sound, that sounds yep. quite familiar actually yeah, yeah. now uh, this just a few seconds that's Jurassic Park if you don't know for the listener out there The guy is lifting from himself. <laughs> yeah. That's a massive flex. Yeah, I'm just thinking, look at this. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's lucky no one actually saw Black Sunday, so no one noticed. <laughs> no, but I, I, I've always known that, you know, like, like you hear this, oh, yeah, well, that James Horner has these flourishes that he keeps repeating in, in his, oh, he's dead. He's not going to do anything. <laughs> but but he, used, he used to have this sort of flourish that, you know, na 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 na, with all his scores. And then, like, and this is the first, at least I was su super happy with myself because, because I was just thinking, oh, yeah, well, he lifted from himself and I noticed, and there's another one as well. Super uh, close to the Indiana Jones as well. I think like the Nazi team or something like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's another one. Hold on. That one. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a little bit further away. Okay. So that was Black Sunday. That was um, Airborne and Bomb Passes Stadium. I suppose that's that's what the track's called. And that's from uh, Incident at Isla Nublar. That's when the um, I think um, a guy in the in the beginning gets killed by a raptor. Like I'm like this this guy's just borrowing from himself. And like you know I, I couldn't find another example, but um, the speedboat chase. That's also like like this is something I, you you just remember from another his from his other scores I think. And there's a, in one of these, I think, in, in that one, there's also like the race team from from Star Wars. <laughs> but this is just, I don't know, I'm, I'm listening to these things and I'm just in, I'm, I'm, I'm just, in, I'm going to stop sharing. Hold on, stop. Yeah, it, it, it does sound a bit like the Bernard Herrmann scores for uh, yes. the Hitchcock films as well. Yes, it's very much in vain. Likely an inspiration as well. It's like then, the time I found out. I was uh, last Christmas. I watched Home Alone, and I thought that sounds like Harry Potter. That, and I did a bit of research, and it's the same person, isn't it? It's like uh, my brain's melting knowing all this now. I, it's got that definable quality of John Williams' scores. It's, no, it, it's yeah, like there, there's things. I mean, John Williams. Hold on, I'm, I might as well. Sh okay, I'm gonna share my screen again because um, <laughs> I, I I don't know if this is something that I've also picked up some. Um, uh, you you know Joel's team, right? Just for the record. Uh, I suppose this will this will do.
because there's nothing in this team for it. This is very atmospheric with your water background. Yeah, and there's a there's a diver <laughs> in there. A, expecting a shark to jump through it. No, but if you listen to this, right? That's something I picked up. Someone else noticed this, and I and, and I was just amazed by this. If you listen to this, right? Now, that's Igor. That's Igor Stravinsky's um, "Rite of Spring." Um, uh, let's let's see if we can open this. Whenever you have the time, internet, come on. I have a thing. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he lifted from this. But then there's a, there's a part in there which will, I hope, come now. This da -da 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 -da. that's that's also Jaws. Yeah. But there's a part that will come in a few seconds, I think. Williams was a, well, I mean, I know he's lifting left, right, and center, but he was amazing at this. So you're saying he's a hack? No. Okay, now I'm on the hunt to see what, what Star Wars is inspired by. I, would, I should probably start watching like the serials from the, like the 30s and 40s to see. Yeah. So, yeah. What happens but... if he did the soundtrack for Black Sunday and was in the editing room for Star Wars and just switched the files accidentally? Okay, now this will be amazing. That's it. <laughs> He's accidentally defined cinematic soundtracks accidentally with a, a, a Black Sunday. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, it's it, it it it's it's just on the next. I mean, think about this. This is a forgotten movie, and then the score to this is well, pardon my French, but slaps. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. Like I know I'm too old to say things like oh it slaps or whatever because you know you can feel it's like I'm, lit. You know, it's lit. oh yeah, it's lit. Like no, like my boss, his daughter, who's like, I don't know, your age, <laughs> she will send him a text saying, "Oh yeah, you should totally get this. This is lit." And he and he would re respond with, "Where's the fire?" <laughs> <laughs> it's very hip. I think I'm allowed to say that because I'm only 21. It's very uh, funky. Yeah, fresh crepes apparently is also <laughs> has also been a, a thing. I don't know what I, I don't, I don't even want to know what it means. I don't even but, know what that means. I don't know. We're too is... old already. <laughs> Out of touch. I don't know. Maybe regional to <laughs> South England. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, John Williams, amazing. Frank John Frankenheimer, amazing. Bruce Dern. He's amazing. by the way. <laughs> amazing. It out of the park. By the way, I didn't I don't know if you if you clued into say angry Bruce Dern sounds like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no lies detected. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, holy shit. Like, this is, yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, I, officially, I, I don't know what, what else to say about this apart from, like, just gushing over this. <laughs> I'm going to say something very controversial. I don't know if you'll agree. I think this is Bruce Stern and John Frankenheimer's best film. I don't think they've done anything better than this. Oh, Ooh, no, Bruce, Bruce Dern, man, um, The Driver. I'm super biased okay. for The Driver. I love it. Uh, Walter Hill, it's my favorite of his films. Oh, I haven't seen The Driver <gasps> on the list. <laughs> yes. On the list. No, because there's so many things I need to see and there's so little time. Because, <laughs> you know, deaths on the song. No, but what, what do I see Bruce Dern in? Um, the, the one big thing I remember him in, apart from Small Soldiers, obviously, was Nebraska. Well, yeah, but he was on Old yeah. Fart already. Yeah, but like that was his Twilight years. He's just sort and, of. And by the way, like Bruce Dern was in Family Plot. <laughs> was he? <laughs> just the year before, yes. <laughs> Bruce Dern. Dern. He was in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? I forgot. Yeah. No, so he was in. Masterpiece. He was in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Peckin Back Connection. Go and tune into that to the previous episode where mm-hmm. we talk about convoy and rampant misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an advertisement. Yeah, there you go. Um no. And he was in the Bruce... last Hitchcock film as well, Family Plot. Yeah, that's what I said, yeah. <laughs> He's been in about three thousand films, it seems, according to his letterbox. Yeah. So. Oh, the Burbs. He was in the Burbs. I liked him in the Burbs. But what did I see him in that he was super young? Oh, Christ. Marnie. Was he in? Oh, yeah, he was in Marnie. Yes, yes. he was. At, for, like, for, for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and a I flattering role. And I, and I, yeah, and I'm just watching Marnie and I was just, is this Bruce Dern? <laughs> He's in a... He, he did a lot of westerns. He did like Hang Em High and he then did. he did Pat Garrett and... Oh, the King of Marvin Gardens! I saw him. That's, that's, yes. Bob, that's Bob Rafelson. Oh, that's also a great film. I don't know if you have, if you haven't seen the King of Marvin Gardens, watch King of Marvin Gardens. It might as well be an episode at some point because I don't think people talk about it, and then they should. Jack Nicholson and Bruce Dern. It's bound to be. Oh yeah, good pairing. Ellen Burstyn too. Yeah, good. Oh, yeah. good group. No, it's just such a great time. And then people say, oh, what's the best decade? And they say, 2000s, because Dark Knight was released into 2008. So that's the best decade. Fuck off. It's the well, 70s. the 2010s the 70s. beat it with Marvel, but, you know. Oh, they enough. can fuck off too. The <laughs> 2020s are already on track with WandaVision. True. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm t- I need to see the new episode, by the way. So that's going to be wild. I'm oh. going to tweet something <laughs> stupid and people are, gonna, are not going to leave me alone again. <laughs> I think 1977... Just that year for action films, phenomenal. Because you had Black Sunday, you had Star Wars. You had <laughs> St- well, yeah, Star Wars. Right. You had Sorcerer. You had Rolling oh. Thunder. You had Cross of Iron. Yeah, that, yeah, That's another packing pack on action. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you probably going to throw Jabberwocky in because that did have a bit of action in it. Yeah, but there was oh. what a year. Smoking the Bandit? Yes. Yes. Second highest grossing film of 1977, as we've established. What was uh, the highest grossing if that was second? Hold on. 1977 in film. Let me quickly just really? open Star it. Wars? Star Wars should be oh, number yeah. one, yeah? <laughs> yes. Sure. I think so. But, but I mean, think about it. Might be any Spiel- I mean, Spielberg had a banging year as well, because it's Star Wars and Close Encounters. As well. oh, I mean, yes. Star- no, Star- because Star Wars... Um, did No, hold on. What, did he have anything? He produced Star Wars, didn't he? No, he didn't. 
he had some no, or, or maybe maybe or maybe he's just introduced George Lucas to someone, and that that's he why certainly helped going. get it to the stage it was he's at. Not, yeah, he's not on any credits anyway. No. So I'm just talking out of my ass. No, well, no, it was that uh, Jodorowsky, wasn't it? It was like Lucas, yes. Spielberg, and a couple others. And then, and then you, I know you guys are like touched on like, oh, how it's like a Bond film, and like to me, the Bond films are always kind of like behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, like Bond films would be looking at what good action films are doing, and they'll do it. Kind of a yeah. couple of years later. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking like because that was the year of the Spy Who Loved Me, so that was that was Roger Moore as well. So that was like, I don't know. These are not my favorite ones, but but the stuff that um. That was in like films like Black Sunday and whatever. This would be in like the Bonds in the eighties. Yeah, like it goes like way, way, yeah. way, way with like grand scale, like License to Kill or Living Daylights. It's just gets massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was <laughs> pure camp Bond at this point. Hmm? This was basically pure camp, if I remember correctly. Well, well, like the, with the Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me, 1977. Uh, yes, because then you yeah. know, like that, where you had The Spy Who Loved Me, The Yeah Man with the Golden Gun, and like Octopussy, they were all sort of super, super corny. Yeah, like you know, there's you know, like the man with the golden gun had like three nipples, and they had a midget, and yeah, that's a fun. That's a fun one, though. Add that <laughs> to the list. That's a fun one. Yeah, it's like yeah, one out of five. Like I, I fell asleep rewatching this like two years ago, and I was saying, "Holy shit!" Like I'm not gonna make th- make it through the box set. And I actually stopped that octopus. I was like, "I can't, I can't do this." <laughs> right before the best one, which is a view to a kill, literally worth it just for the Duran Duran song or whoever made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Seventies were amazing. Were were amazing when you think about this. You didn't even mention Orca. Oh, great, nineteen seventy seven one. Hit the snub yeah. Orca. <laughs> I mean, or- Orca, by the way, it, yeah, yet again, spoiler alert, Orca's going to make an appearance in July. Oh, perfect. Ooh. I'm not even kidding. Like, this, like uh, yeah, this... It's or- fixed. Like, no, Orca, I have like a weird nostalgic connection with because when I was a kid, we've, with, with my cousins, we've all, like, we were watching Jaws sequels. Like, you'd be watching Marvel films, like, thinking, oh, it's just, you know great sort of like entertainment and they're shit films right all of them <laughs> but i have just and then we just found there's another one about an orca let me rent this <laughs> and then we we're just like this is amazing <laughs> like 12 year old people <laughs> renting shit they're not supposed to i'm just looking at what came out in general in 77 and it's so many good directors like aside from frankenheim you had lucas lynch Argento, Spielberg, Allen, you had Friedkin, you had Peckinpah, you had Terry Gilliam, you had all these great directors. You even had Werner Herzog at one point. Mark Scorsese. It's, what did Scorsese do in 1977? Uh, New York, New York. New York, New York. Oh, that didn't do very well, did it? No, no, no not particularly, <laughs> no. I think Cassavetes was still in his thunder with Open and Night that year. Mm-mm. Like if you if you if if you get your you know like the rug pulled out from under you by John Cassavetes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean don't get me wrong he makes he used to make brilliant films but it's not exactly like they don't have like a wild wide appeal to to anyone. Yeah. Very specific uh, niche. 90, so that ninety seven that would be a razor head. Yeah. 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 Jesus. Whew. It'll have been uh, the American friend for Wim Wenders as well. 
which is so good. It's incredible. And I think that might be part of the reason why Black Sunday doesn't stick out now. Because if you're going back and thinking, oh, I want to watch a film from, let's say, late 70s, you've got so much to choose from that's already established mm. and you don't have to pick the guy that did The Mancurian Candidate in seconds. And Ronan, you've got Star Wars, you've got The Razorhead, you've got Sorcery, you've got Rabbit, David Cronenberg, you've got uh, Strozek from Herzog. You've got all these big films and it's kind of, especially now, if we look at sort of how releases are going, it's very hard to stand out from that crowd. Especially yeah. if Marvel's dominating it all, and that's just one year. When you think about this, when you when you take the whole yeah. sort of surrounding years together into the equation, like it's it's very easy. Like now, now it kind of just makes more sense to me. Like it's easy for a masterclass filmmaking sort of example like this to kind of just get overshadowed by even even sort of more sort of outstanding features because you know. There's your taxi drivers. There's your Rockies. There's your old president, all the president's men. There's all great, great films. Just every weekend, opening every weekend without fail. Like if you think about, it, like 1979, you had Alien. Come on, it's all within a few hour window. If you think about this, if you if 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 you think about say back to like 2017, when you think about what kind of a caliber of films you'd have, and you just look two years each way there's not going to be no there's going to be good stuff but you know there's there's not going to be this much unless i don't know we have to live another 30 years for people to kind of just appraise all of them properly and see which ones stick out which ones don't uh and yeah and then you know we'll, we'll find out if, if you know that's what we're here to do isn't it <laughs> no no yeah but 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 this is kind of I mean at least I find it difficult. Say when when I'm thinking about say potential ideas for 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 episodes, right? I'm thinking about um like I, I don't want to kind of just commit to a decade and say let's get, let's just go through the 80s because there's in the 80s and 90s you could you could basically just do it there and because there's there's this sort of like a forgotten period because they're not old enough to be classics and they're not young enough for people to remember. Uh, but doing the sort of recent. It's difficult because you kind of have to figure out okay which ones are not po- not part of a conversation or which ones didn't have a conversation which one had a conversation but it kind of fall had you know has fallen by the wayside like it's very difficult to kind of just appraise this but I really want to kind of do these sort of the more modern ones as well and there will be a, a, a you know a few here and there hopefully but you know Iron Man uh, two oh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but no, these are WandaVision. Let's go. Oh, no. no. I mean, I I see these tweets like, oh, you know, WandaVision has more story in in five episodes than Mandalorian had in two seasons. I think you mean plot, not story. (laughs) I can see (laughs) the word WandaVision written on my post that no one is just staring right back at me. It's horrifying. No, and I'm just reveling in, in how. Twitter brigades already spoiling this like two hours in after after the episode dropped like there there's like spoilers on, on Twitter and people are losing their shit. This is amazing. But what are they spoiling though? There's nothing there to spoil. It's all the same. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're discovering for the first time that like a plot like develops and like as you go on each episode like there's there's plot and they're like oh my god you're revealing the mystery by mystery they just mean the plot there's no mystery it's, it's as if they forget every week that there's another episode coming it's like there's a mystery yeah, yeah, to yeah. unfold here how will we solve it without another episode and then another one comes that's like what happened last week i need a recap episode 
it's so it's just, like it's quite concerning though that like the these reactions are coming from people who are like i'm a film critic it's like oof yeah. Like, yeah. No, you don't know how plots work film critic these oh, days. no <laughs> but but no but then think about no they, they're just amazed how a plot develops you know and and they don't forget that there's no story underneath it and just watch black sunday 1977 has both plot and story and characters and they're all fully fleshed out people and it's t- yeah. and it takes just as much time as the whole season of of Wonder Vision will probably no hold on no less than that because each episode is like forty minutes. So there's like probably less ep- credits for sure. Less. Cr- By the way, speaking of credits, this thing reaches its climax. Things happen. Roll credits. Oh yeah. No no yeah. bullshit. No bu- no no hugging. No kissing. It's just no. <laughs> Roll credits. It's it's great. The ending. I looked at the runtime and it was like five minutes left and they're still in the blimp. I was like, hold on a second. What's going yeah. on here? I and was then, convinced it would just go wrong. And then the music crescendo is like, nah. It's fine. I think oh, credits more rolling. films need to do that. Just <laughs> credits need to be 30 seconds, not 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Good old days. No, <laughs> unless it's what, what was this? The Fellowship of the Ring. I think the extended edition has like 35 minutes of credits. <laughs> Because you, like you put the uh, Blu-ray in, and it's like what? It's like four hours. Holy shit! Like no, it's like or, or like you just. I think I was I was rewatching this on Blu-ray a few years ago, <laughs> and I was just saying they're already like shooting arrows into Boromir, and then just I don't know. I looked at the uh, little slide bar, and it's like holy shit! There's like forty minutes left, and it's like no, 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 <laughs> ten minutes and a half hour, uh, uh, half an hour of of credits because they had like all the f- uh, thank yous for all the fan clubs in there. Not actual technical credits like crew or, or, and cast. It's just like thank you to all the sort of like national Frodo appreciation societies or whatever. Got Represent. <laughs> are you are you a card carrying member? <laughs> I was. <laughs> no man. Uh, no 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 no. You can't leave this like this. Now you need to walk us through this. <laughs> I I jokes aside. I uh, like I remember the good old days, and this is just derating completely, but. The good old days of just, you know, loving Lord of the Rings and thinking that was the greatest thing on earth. That those were good days, man. You know. Oh yeah. We become jaded critics and film fans. Because the MCU has wore us down. <laughs> on the other fandoms that came after Lotter. It's so f- I mean, that's nostalgia. Lord of the Rings kind of came right at the time when um the prequel tri- trilogy was still kind of there. Yeah, pretty much, much. Yeah. How much it better just that began. was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Prequels aren't terrible. I mean, they're not. I mean, I have a theory on on prequels, but I, I don't, yeah, where like I think it's connected to sort of imprinting when 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 you when you see them. I suppose if you saw like a prequel was your first Star Wars film or your first Star Wars that you saw in the cinema, you'll be latching onto them, and that's fine. Like. If if Attack of the Clones is your thing, it's Godspeed. Like, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Which it, it is my thing. <laughs> yeah, see, so but I will watch that any day compared to the original trilogy. No, but I don't like Star but, Wars. FYI okay, so for what was your thing. what was the first Star Wars film you ever, you ever saw? Uh, original trilogy. Okay, which one was the first one you saw first on the big screen? Uh, Force Awakens. Okay, my theory is shit. <laughs> <laughs> your theory might work on me because the I. Uh, up until about, I don't know, I only got into films like three or four years ago. So up until that point, the only experience I had with Star Wars was the Lego Star Wars game on the Xbox. So I went to the film, it's like, oh, it's just like the Lego. So I knew what was going to happen. 
That's wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, because you know, like I, I, like my, I don't know. I, I was taken to see this at like a repertoire sort of cinema when I was a kid because they they would play like old films. So I saw original Star Wars when I was like seven on the big screen. I was like, that's the bomb. That's the thing. <laughs> see, I think I just got into them too late. I, I like. You have just... to be a, yeah, you have to be a child, I think, to imprint properly. So you, so you, so you, yeah. have, you, you develop this sort of sense of, I, like, I know it's poor, <laughs> I know it's poor, but I love it anyway. It's like you know, yeah. This is my issue with this and Marvel and all of them. I just, I, I didn't watch films as a child, so I don't know. I don't have any connection to this shit. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. But you know, that, but that, at least you, you can be a, you can be an objective critic. I, I suppose this would be like you'd you'd make a very good critic. So you just you know keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll make it. No, it's, as in prof- in prof- professional sort of terms, you'd be like because at least you, you can't be accused of having a nostalgic reference to anything because you're like I don't know I didn't grow up yeah. with this shit. Stop. Night <laughs> uh, Museum Two. That's about the only film I liked as a kid. So I saw that. I'll be this. Oh, me too. Twice. <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, what, a, what, a, what a film! The one like, I went to, the, um, <laughs> the screen switched off and the fire alarm went off, and they wouldn't let us back <laughs> in. So I never saw the last twenty minutes of it. So I had to wait until about six months later when I bought the DVD. Oh, no, that's what I did with Good Time. Like it just stopped midway through, and they're like, "Well, we can't turn it back on." So I had to wait until it came out. Yeah. Shit. Anyway, so let's go, I think we've just derailed this. We might as well just bring it to a close because all we all we keep saying is just at least three of us are saying this is amazing, and Carson's kind of just slowly warming up to yeah. uh, to the possibility that he's witnessed a masterpiece, and he's just I really don't think I like. This. I don't think I am. I, I'm, I'm very like <clears throat> this is one of those podcasts. I'm exactly the same as when I started. I feel like yeah, it's good. Oh, okay. Anyway, I can see the disappointment in Jakob's eyes. <laughs> I could probably bump it up to five stars. I think talking through this all, it's mm. yeah, I'd say so. I'm um, at three and a half, a solid three and a half. Oh, <laughs> it's pretty good, though. Still, really, really good. Yeah, it's it's good, it's really good. Anyway, so okay, well, so let's, let's just let's, let's just wrap this up because before Carson just you know, <laughs> says something even dumber. <laughs> Three and a half. Jeez. No, okay. Uh, okay. Carson, Everyone... That's a positive review. <laughs> I know. You I did know. this last week too. I gave Convoy three and a half and you were like, oh, I saw you didn't like Convoy. Three and a half is good. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's just me because I kind of, I'm kind of biased to, to kind of rate high. Yeah. I'm, 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 I can happily give, pe- give, give people five stars. I don't care. <laughs> And, and I never give people five stars, so. Yeah, so you know, like five stars for you. Five, like I'm, I'm like Oprah. <laughs> Everyone gets a five star. <laughs> anyway, so let's just quickly go around the table and then um, see if John Frankenheimer's Black Sunday is in fact an uncut gem. How about that, Carson? Do you want to start? So what is the range here? Because we we've had is it still is it like crap or uncut gem or what is the range? What can I, I mean, give it? I didn't do this last week, but I had I had this idea of including um, like a little snippet from a film. Like I had you know like a, for Assassination Nation, I had a uh, oh this is the Ethiopian opal, whatever five million <laughs> carats or whatever. So I had this. <laughs> uh, so as in this is the gem, like I can go for it, right? Yeah. So and I had another one. 
from Indiana Jones. I have and and I had, you know, like one from Shawshank Redemption for like, what's this? Is this an alabaster? No, it's an alabaster. It's horseshit, petrified. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had another one with, from Jurassic Park with a big pile of shit. <laughs> okay, because so, if this but, if the but, range you know, was horseshit like... and masterpiece, this is closer to masterpiece. If it yeah. is layered like that. I cannot say from my experience, and I'm sorry, Jakob, I, I really no, do apologize. I, I cannot say this is like a masterpiece. This is the gem you need, you know, go out of your way to check out. I would highly recommend it though. But if, uh, well, while you finalize that, the old scale that I was made aware of is this horseshit or is this an uncut gem? I'll <laughs> give it uncut gem on that basis. But no. if it is layered, just know it's not an uncut gem. It's like the thing right below it for me. So take it, take that how you want, audience. I mean, you know, you make, you can make it simple. It, it's it's a gem worth discussing and watching. If if, if you know, I, I suppose it, it it's a win already, right? If you say, well, if we picked it up from a shelf and had a good time, why don't you have a have a good time as well? Go and well, watch we had a good time. There's no Blu-rays for us. We had a good time talking about Kissing Booth too. I don't know if that's like the scale we need to be like judging films on. If you can have a good time talking about them <laughs> uh, yeah i'd recommend you check it i would recommend you check it out i don't think you need to go out of your way to see it but you know if you want something you're like well you know if you're looking for something to stream and you're just going through the endless channels i e- easily recommend this one yeah there you go so see, uh, now i've bullied you to, uh, to appreciating this even a little bit more <laughs> no it's a four stars <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome and by the way you know i, I i've returned the favor because you did it to me last week yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I did bully you last week into saying Convoy was a gem. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> Nicola, what do you think? I think yes, uh, absolutely, uh, an uncut gem, well worth a watch, well worth seeking out. If you like Frankenheimer's seventies cinema, action movies that actually have interesting set pieces, cool characters, um, yes, just don't don't skip it if you can watch it anywhere on TV, like late at night. It's a good watch. You win? Uh, yeah, definite uncut gem. It's fantastic. If someone asked me for like a top five action films, this would be in the top five, no doubt about it. It's incredible. Oh, I'm, I, I love you, man. This is, yeah, see, <laughs> look, you speak my language. See that? Yeah, this. I, I said it in the beginning. This is the reason I'm doing this. This is the reason I'm passionate about talking about films that no one wants to talk about because some of them are absolute amazing masterpieces. And then it pains me that there is so difficult to track or difficult to see in uh you know in def- in sort of decent quality and then because well, to me black sunday is as good as, as good as it gets like it's to me right up there with like things like jaws or raiders of the lost ark it's just an amazing exercise in filmmaking that you know like that i don't know catherine Bigelow would have looked looked up to when she was making zero dark 30 or something like this it's just a blast with beautiful performances excellent direction written by an absolute genius <laughs> oh, i can't say it with a straight face because yeah, i know like thomas harris has a problem with writing because he just he's known for being like a constipated writer like he can't cannot put words on the page like he's just horrible but but, it's, but the film is such a such a gem that it it basically should be the epitome of what this shows at least in my opinion what this show is standing for bringing attention to films like this a film that must be seen should be seen and I demand it to be released in Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray, or whatever whatever the format you, you need to release it on when you know years from now. Because I will quickly it, say in America, this is available on Amazon Prime. Like it, I, yes, I, it is. Check yes. it out. 
<laughs> yes. So you know, to me, it is. It, yeah, it is. Well, you know, a, a gem. So take that. Marion, don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Marion. Don't look at it, no matter what happens. Anyway, so with with that, you can you know as as you said like you can rent this i mean you can stream this on in the us on amazon prime and i think at least in the uk it used to be like this that it would kind of just lapse between like as 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 sort of rights lapse between those streaming services you know amazon would have it and netflix would have it but no one has it now so in the uk you, ha- you can only rent it from apple in hdn and from like a bunch of other places in standard definition Blech. <laughs> it's just um, yeah, it's available on DVD. Doesn't have a Blu-ray in in the US. I think had a Blu-ray, but it's out of print. Um, so yeah, so you can watch it on Amazon Prime for free. Uh, yeah, so I think that will be it for this episode of the Uncut Gems. Um, so I suppose we might as well go around the table and um, so where we can find you all on social media, Carson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, and you can find me on letterbox just Carson Tamar and make sure to go and give a like to my three and a half review of the film. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nicola. You can find me on Twitter at Nikki 97 and you can find me on letterbox as Nicola Grasso. You can get me on Twitter at you and or you can get me on letterbox, you and as well. Right, and you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter, and you can also find and read my stuff on Clapper. You can, I think, you can find all our stuff on Clapper as well, and then Carson's stuff in all other places because he's he's he, he's he's the big shot here. <laughs> you can find your stuff on other places also. Well, and, well, and Nicola has a everyone has yes, stuff Nic- going on. What Nic- are you talking? Nic- Nic- Nicola, Nicola has, has a has a fucking radio show. Yeah. What are you talking? About? Everyone has fucking stuff going on. I know. So you know, plug your I'm shit when you can. Shot. Jesus. <laughs> Well, you are the big shot. Come on, and yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so Ewan, Ewan has a radio show. Nicola has a YouTube channel. And they don't because they're so 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 shy, and they don't want to say that they have stuff going on. Um, so so you can you can tune in and, and uh, find their stuff, I suppose, on Twitter as well. So you can also um, uh, find our stuff on Clapper. You can find my stuff on fashionfilm.com if you want to. Not necessarily have to. You can follow the show on Twitter at Uncut Gems Pod. Uh, so make sure to follow, like, read our stuff. It really helps a lot. If you want to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at uncutgemspod at gmail.com. So if you want to sound off about Black Sunday or anybody and anything else that we've covered, or maybe just say hi and vent a, a little bit, you can go for it. Uh, you can also support the show, as we said in the beginning, over at uh, ko-fi.com. So ko-fi.com at uncutgemspod. Uh, you can find the show on Anchor and all the major platforms. So be sure to tend, uh, yeah, be sure to tune in next week when we will be discussing not one but two films this time. That's right, we will be uh, doing a double bill, and it's it kind of feels appropriate to pair these two films together because we will be digging into 1988's um, Alien Nation and pitting it against David Ayer's Bright. <laughs> God help us! I know. So make sure you do not miss that because I have a feeling the conversation is going to be fucking wild. (laughs) So um, in any case, hope you all have a fabulous day and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.